Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. Yeah, glad you guys are at RUF. Um, Taylor said a lot about what we are about and just wanted to highlight to you that one thing we love to do is uh, walk with you through life, through college. And so myself, Taylor, Sophie, many of you, like what we like to do is meet up one-on-one and just grab a meal or a coffee and hear what's going on, be there for you, praying for you, um, just so you don't have to... Uh, go through things alone and you know you may hear something that I say up here that you have questions about and you know love to talk about that so please don't I mean we really really want to be uh, spending time with you guys so if you have any desire for that just do not hesitate to reach out and uh, one of the main things we're about because we're about Jesus and RUF we're about the Bible we're about scripture uh, which is where we believe Jesus is revealed and um, we're doing a series this semester. Normally we go through like a part of the Bible and I'm really excited to be doing a series I'm calling the books of the Bible. And we're just gonna, you know, like start at the beginning and we're gonna, each week we're gonna look, we're like this, the first book of the Bible is Genesis. And so we're gonna look at a passage from Genesis. And next week we're gonna look at a passage from Exodus. And the week after that, we're gonna look at a passage from Leviticus, which like no one reads, but we're gonna read it together, a passage from it. And uh, we're just gonna go through the first like 11 or 12 books of the Bible. Uh, and so it'll be like a tour of the Bible. And it's, so we're gonna cover a lot of cool Passages, and my hope is that it'll make sense. It'll help us make sense of the world we live in, because we live in a world uh, where lots of people have things to say about, like how things should be and what you should do and how you should live. And usually, those claims are made without any kind of like backing, any kind of like source of like, well, how do you know that? And what we believe is that the Bible is that. We believe that the Bible tells the story that makes sense of our world and our life and our world. And so that's why I'm excited to be doing this uh, this semester. And, you know, we're starting at the beginning of the semester with what's typically called the fall, uh, the Adam and Eve's rebellion against God in the Garden of Eden. And, and you know, the story we're going to look at comes on the heels of the creation account where God uh, creates a beautiful world and everything is good and he creates Adam and Eve, and he says everything is very good and everything is perfect. And uh, they live, Adam and Eve live with God. Uh, They live life with God in the garden, in paradise. And uh, that's where our story for tonight picks up. So I'm going to read for us Genesis 3, chapters 1, or verses 1 through 19, rather. uh, And then we'll spend some time examining it together. So let me read it for us. Uh, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. 
For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go. In dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. Whew. A lot there. Let me pray, and we'll look at it together. Uh, Father, would you show us your truth uh, in your word, and would your truth set us free? Uh, Guide us now as we uh, look at it and change us through it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Many years ago now, one night, uh, before um, my wife Maggie and I had kids, uh, we were getting ready to go to bed, and we walked by like the stairs that go down to the basement in our house. And my wife Maggie said, it smells kind of damp down there. And I was like, oh, whatever. And we were about to go to bed. And, and then we were both kind of just like, maybe we should go check. And thankfully we did because we went down the stairs and turned on the stairs and saw like, I don't know, Eight, in, eight, nine, ten inches of standing water in our basement because our basement had been flooding. A heating pipe had burst in our whole base. We have a big basement, and it was flooding, standing water everywhere. And we're like scrambling, like how do we turn off? Like it's it's heating pipes, so we're like, how do we turn off the water to the heating pipes? Like I have no idea. And it took for you know a long time. Eventually figured it out, stopped it, and then there was the cleanup. And it was like days, you know, you got to like, when there's like a lot of water on carpet and stuff, we're calling in like companies to like fix it. And the plumbing company that came shortly after that, the plumber came and showed me the pipe that had burst in our house. And 
he said, look at this. And he showed me this pipe and there was a crack, I don't know, the size of like, it was the tiniest little split in the pipe. And that thing was gonna take our house down. Like if we had gone to sleep, we would have destroyed our house. And it was just a tiny little like split in the pipe. Um, you know, think about like the difference between a nice clean house and a, have you ever been to like a house after it was flooded and the mold comes and it just destroyed, like flooding will destroy a house, uh, a house that was perfectly fine. And it can be that small. It can just be the crack. The tiniest crack can do it. Um, you know, think about our world that way. Think about what our world is supposed to be and what it is. You know, our world in this account goes from a peaceful, wondrous world, vibrant world, full of peace, full of flourishing, to a world that's scary and sad. And it happens, there's just a little crack and it makes its way in. And, you know, like the flooding, sin is relentless and it multiplies. Uh, you know, it's not just that one kid brings a gun to school. It's that one kid brings a gun to school and then about a thousand other kids out there think, you know what, that's kind of a good idea. I might do that too. Or it's not that just that one person tells a lie, but it's that one person tells a lie and now you can't really trust anyone anymore. You know, think, think about how much distrust there is now in our society today. How you hear something and you, you think, I, I don't know if I can trust that. How much division there is in our country and in our world today. Uh, that's sin multiplying. Uh, you know, you could just think of the worst things in our world, like, for instance, sex trafficking. I read in statistics this week that uh, every day posted online are over 150,000 ads for escorts, uh, people selling their body. Many, many of them are children who are being sold uh, on the Internet. Uh, over 40 million people, I read, are enslaved today around the world. 40 million uh, think about closer to home. Uh, in the last year, 96,000 Americans died of drug overdoses. Most of them were young men. Think about that. 96,000 people. That's about five Yukons worth of people just in the last year that thought, you know what? There's too much pain. I'm just going to fill my body so full up with drugs and hope I die. And that doesn't even count the people who didn't die. So we live in a world... It's very dark. It can be very inhuman. It can be hard to deal with uh, because we instinctively know, like, I wasn't meant for this junk. Like, this situation, this, where my life has ended up, I wasn't meant for it. And what the Bible teaches emphatically is that the world isn't sad and lonely and scary because it's bad. Genesis chapters 1 and 2 that we didn't read tonight tell us that. All it says, it's, it's very good, but it's sad and lonely and dark and scary and bad because there's an intruder in our world disrupting the goodness, uh, sin. And this sets up the whole Bible. Like if you don't understand this passage, you won't understand any of the Bible. You won't understand what the Bible's saying about our world, uh, the whole story of our world. And so what I want to look at tonight is three, three things about sin. I want to look at the essence of sin and the effect of sin. And finally, the end of sin, how sin gets taken care of. And first of all, I want to look at the essence of it. Uh, remember, we're, talk, we're in the context of a good world, a wondrous garden to tend. Uh, and there's a specific instruction in Genesis 2 that there's one tree that God has instructed Adam 
uh, to not eat from. And Eve as well. And a serpent shows up. And, you know, just so you know, like, ancient people aren't stupid. They knew that snakes didn't talk. Like, none of, no ancient people were like, yeah, snakes can talk. You know, so anyone reading, the, like, they would know there's a power at work. There's an evil power at work here. Uh, this isn't just a normal snake. And the serpent says to the woman, so he's like, so God says you can't eat from any tree? <laughs> think about the exaggeration that that is. Like, think about that distortion of God's word. God has said you can eat from any tree. There's one you can't eat from. And, and, and that's how it works. It starts off with, like, distorting what God has said. You know, like, you can't eat any tree? Like, what's that about? And it immediately makes Eve start to doubt because the way that Eve responds is that, you know, the snake's like, you know, he said that? That's messed up. Who does he think he is? And and Eve says, well, uh, he said that we can't eat from one tree and we can't touch it either, which God also did not say. So he's already got Eve at that point because she's exaggerating God's words now too. Uh, The serpent is calling God a liar. He's saying, God's withholding stuff from you. He's not good. You should be God. You should run your life. You should decide. Which, interestingly, is what everyone everywhere today says, right? (laughs) How often do you hear, like, you should decide for yourself? It's your life. It's your body. You do what you want with it. And that's the essence of sin. We always think of sins like murder and stealing and cheating, which are all bad, but... What this is saying is that underneath all of those things is sin, this disposition that we inherit from Adam and Eve that says, God doesn't love me. He doesn't know. He doesn't want me to be happy. It's up to me now. I'm God. I'll decide how to live. He can't be trusted. And, you know, if you go back and read Genesis 1 and 2, you just see the enormity of that lie. Like, that's nowhere in God's character. That's nowhere in what's revealed about. All that's revealed about God is how good he is and how much he blesses his people. Uh, He gives Adam and Eve the garden. He creates them in love. And he says, help me rule the world. Like, this is yours. Fill it up. You know, live. It's an enormous lie. Um, I have two kids now. And let me tell you, when you have a kid... Your world, your first kid especially, your world gets rocked because what happens is you fall in love instantly with this tiny being that you just meet, you know, like you've never met them before and you see him and immediately there's a switch and it's like, I love this kid. I would give anything for this kid. And immediately what happens is you think, oh crap, I was the worst kid. <laughs> like, I, I doubted my parents' love for me at like every turn and I didn't listen to them. And if they felt like a fraction of what I feel now for this kid, then they must have really loved me. And I didn't believe it. It was a lie. I thought they just wanted to make my life miserable. Okay? That's the essence of sin, is believing the lie. Uh, you know, the worst sin you can do is not murder. The worst sin is not sexual sin. The worst sin, the most despicable thing you could ever do is believe that God doesn't love you. That he doesn't want you to be happy. To believe that his rules are meant to limit you rather than to set you free. That life can be found apart from him. Uh, all other sins spring from that sin. And that's, that's what Adam and Eve did in the garden that day. And that's the kind of people we are as a result. Uh, we inherit their sin. And so 
What it means is this world isn't actually scary. It's not the scary part. Humans are scary. We are the scary ones. We've believed the lie. And everything has fallen apart. So that's the essence of sin. But I want to move now to the effects of sin. Because what we see is that there's all kinds of effects immediately. It says their eyes are opened. And first of all, they realize that they're naked. And they make coverings for themselves. And, you know, which is a vast difference from the end of Genesis chapter 2. When it says they were naked and unashamed. Adam and Eve together, naked in the garden, unashamed. And now, shame everywhere. Um, you know, this shame, this, this feeling that we have, this sense that we have that we are unworthy, that we are undesirable, that no one would ever want to look at us, that we need to hide. And so they hear the sound of God walking toward them, which, by the way, shows that, like, that's how good life was back then, is that God, they got to walk with God in the garden. You know, it's probably just something they did. And so God uh, comes walking toward them, and they hear God in the garden, and so they run to him like they always did, Right? No, they hide. Shame is that feeling that makes you want to hide. And I know you all feel it. But think about the ridiculousness of hiding from God. Like he can see everything. He made this world. But that's the point, right? Like disobeying God makes people start to do stupid things. Think of the fig leaves. You're going to cover your genitals with a dead leaf? Like, how, that's not going to work. Think of all the things you do, though, that you know are bad for you, that you know actually aren't going to work, but you do them anyway. Uh, Disobeying God makes us run from him, as if we ever could get far from him, and instead instead of doing what we should do, which is run to him for help. Uh, so in their souls, they've surely died, Adam and Eve, just like God said they would. Everything, is, everything has fallen apart. Uh, if you've been around RUF a while, you've surely heard my story of being a camp counselor at a camp, summer camp. And I remember uh, little kids would come to the camp. And uh, my first day on the job, after being trained, a, a little boy got a cabin full of like eight-year-old boys. And one of them poops in his pants on the first day. And it took me a while to piece together what had happened. He was there for 10 days and, you know, happens to everyone not a big deal really but when you're eight and you're in a new place and new friends like you don't want to be the one who did that and so uh, what he did what I pieced together he did is what any eight-year-old would know how to do like he didn't know how to handle it and so he what he had done is he had taken off his underwear with poop still in it and just put it under his bed and so this boy's name was Hal and he's having a miserable week like I can't like I'm kind of like what's with this guy like and you know what's going on is he can't let anyone get too close or they'll find out he's got a secret that he's hiding and no one can know and so for him what's supposed to be like the best week of your life is the most miserable week Uh, he barely says anything to anyone he hides Um, you know you probably don't do that anymore hide you know your underwear under your bed like Hal did, but maybe instead you've become a perfectionist, which is just as foolish. You know, how do you hide? Maybe you always have to be right. It's this way of like hiding that you might have a flaw, or maybe you have this way of just like numbing your pain through whatever, sex or alcohol or distractions like social media or YouTube. 
Uh, it's just as foolish as hiding your poop under your bed or hiding behind a tree from God. Uh, listen to what this counselor, Dan Allender, says about this. He says, the dread of being found out is sufficient to fuel radical denial, workaholism, perfectionism, revictimization, and a host of other ills. But the fear is greater than simply losing relationship. It is the terror that if our dark soul is discovered, we will never be enjoyed, nor desired, nor pursued by anyone. That's the sin. Move into the shame and what it does to us. Look at the disconnection that happens as a result of sin. Uh, Disconnection from God, obviously. Disconnection from others, too. Uh, Immediately, they start blaming did you notice this? Like, you know, God asked Adam first and he's like, which by the way, Adam should have been there. Like, this is Adam's fault. And Adam though says, the woman that you gave me. It's like, God, this is your fault. <laughs> it's her fault and your fault. Not my fault though. And then he asks the woman Eve and she says, well, the serpent deceived me. Right? Look at the, blame, the blaming. Uh, look at the covering. The, the coverings they have to make for themselves. Look at the hiding from the Lord. Uh, in verse 16, it says this interesting thing about like, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And what that's essentially saying is like, marriage is going to be almost impossible now because you're going to have two sinners hiding, trying to relate to each other for life. It almost never works in our world. Uh, you know, we were made for a relationship though. We were made to be loved and known and loved, but sin and the ways we tend to deal with it make that next to impossible. And so life is hard. Uh, the reason your relationships are unfulfilling is because you and everyone else are hiding and covering and blaming just like Adam and Eve did that day. Uh, so that's, those are the effects. And there's the final effect, which is the worst, which is death. The ground is cursed. Work becomes difficult. Family building becomes difficult. And then there's the ultimate tragedy, which is that Adam will die. He'll return to the dust, something that was never meant to happen. Death was never meant to happen. And instead of being this place of flourishing, the world becomes a place of sadness and death. And we all feel it today, right? Uh, we don't need to be like, look around. We're all sitting six feet apart. Like everything is pretty messed up. You know, not to mention what's going on in our families and on our campus and uh, in our personal lives and in our relationships. You know, does it ever, does it ever make you just want to like scream or cry? We weren't meant for a world like this. We weren't meant for numbing and hiding and death. Uh, but the effects of this sin, the, the sadness, the darkness are not the end of the story, thankfully. And I want to wrap up by talking about the end of sin, how it goes away. Uh, and you can see it in how God reacts. How does God react after his people turn on him, after their betrayal and rebellion against him? Well, what he does is he detonates an atomic bomb on them. Nope, he doesn't do that. He does what any good father would do. He pursues them. He starts by drawing near to them. He asks questions. He says, where are you? And it's this way of gently drawing them back to him. And then he does something even more amazing, which is that he makes clothing for them, clothing that'll actually work (laughs) to 
account for the ways that they've sinned. He makes clothing for them. Uh, and he makes a promise about the serpent. And this is, you know, if you get one thing out of tonight, you got to get this. Genesis 3, 15 is the most important book in the Bible, a verse in the Bible. It sets everything up. He says, from now on, there's going to be a struggle between good and evil. And it's going to culminate in the offspring of the woman defeating the offspring of the serpent. It says, he shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. Who's he? Like, isn't it interesting that all of a sudden there's like a he? Who's he? Who's this person that defeats sin but is also damaged in the process? You see, God's already looking ahead to the saving work of Jesus, even now. On the worst and most offensive day in human history, God is already thinking about how he's going to make it better, how he's going to save us. And sure enough, you know, later on, Jesus shows up. The God-man. The one who's born without the curse. And he gets tempted. Like the first thing that happens in his ministry is he goes off to be tempted by Satan. But he doesn't give in. And then he lives a life of always obeying. And then he dies and rises again on behalf of Adam and Eve and everyone who has come from them since. So how does God undo the lie? He becomes our substitute by coming to earth and treated like he is the liar. And it's no coincidence, you know, it says thorns and thistles this land will bear. And it's no coincidence that as Jesus dies, he wears a crown of thorns. He takes on all of the sin. It's all thrown on him. And he takes it. Only Jesus is powerful enough to cure the sin disease that's in our hearts and that's plaguing our world, to heal your relationships, to heal your fear and anxiety and fix your life. Only Jesus can do it. Your GPA won't do it. Your resume won't do it. Money won't do it. Your to-do list won't do it. Your significant other, whoever they are, won't do it. Your workout routine won't do it. Your little amusements that you have won't do it. You can't numb yourself out of it. Only Jesus will do it. Only Jesus was publicly shamed so that you wouldn't have to be. Only Jesus was disconnected from the Father so that you could be brought in. And that's what the rest of the Bible is about. It's about God guiding our world to a time when he can enter it to save us and make the world right again. It's all about this relentless pursuit Uh, He's relentlessly pursuing his people. Even now, he's pursuing you. Okay, the gospel is this. The world is sad. If you don't see that, you are missing something big. The world is sad. It's not the way it's supposed to be. We're not supposed to be this alienated from God and each other. College isn't supposed to be like this miserable, anxiety-inducing, stress-filled, lonely season that it is for so many. Uh, It's definitely not supposed to be like during a global pandemic. But Jesus has already come. He has crushed the head of the serpent at the cross. And now sin and death are working backwards. And For those that will forsake their pride, for those that will allow their sin to be exposed instead of trying to hide and continually hide and cling to Jesus instead, that sadness will begin to be replaced by the everlasting joy of being back with the one you were made for. 
the world's going to be renewed someday. You know, that's the end of the Bible. Jesus is going to come again. But we can begin to live it today. You know, through Christ, we can heal our relationships today. We can stop hiding today. Uh, we can love our neighbor today. We can rest and flourish. And we can experience joy and delight today. Uh, only because Jesus has undone the lie. Only because Jesus has taken away our sin. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you that you give us your word that makes sense of our world. It makes sense of why we experience so much sadness, but why, why there's also hints of great goodness in our world. And we thank you most of all that you pursue sinners. Uh, that your gospel, your grace, your mercy are for anyone who will take and that you give us life. We pray that we would know something of that life uh, here together this semester. I pray for these students as they go to college in a really kind of weird and sad time that you would guide them and bless them and show us more of yourself this semester. We pray in Christ's name, amen.